This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about provincial vaccine certificates that we are likely to get here in Ontario, in the province of Ontario. We will hear from Premier Doug Ford later in the week. Uh, It is said that he has changed his mind and that we will get these proof of vaccination certificates or downloads um, after all. And joining us for the conversation is Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist, assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and Bioethicist, Dr. Kerry Bowman at the University of Toronto. I'm looking to hear from you if you think that the vaccine certificate and the issuing of it will make you feel more comfortable to enjoy more or non-essential activities, or, you know, that you're happy that when returning to in-person work, everybody that is returning alongside you in your office will be double vaccinated, will likely have to show that they are double vaccinated, that that could become a condition of employment where you work. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. Diana in Toronto, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, no, I don't uh, need a certificate. I've been double vaccinated. I have my two little slips and I can present those wherever I go. Um, I would rather see them put the money towards uh, getting the uh, water to the Indigenous people, uh, I think, rather than uh, running around spending millions on a slip that's telling them that we've, we've had our, our um, you know, sl- shots. All we need is a little card. We present it where we go. We've been vaccinated. Okay, Diana, thank you. And, and the only, I, w- I also wanted to add, I find it very uh, frightening to be, ge- be having my, my name presented as a number. I can remember a couple of years back when um, they were trying to get into our bank accounts secretly. And it, there was a big article in the paper, and then Trudeau. Okay, I'm not. I'm not sure I understand that, or the line of thought there, or whether that even happened. Um, but what about that, gentleman, Doctor Furness? That we already have this proof of vaccination in these emails that we receive. Uh, the criticism is that they can be forged. Well. I- I guess in some ways I'd rather see us make sure that Indigenous peoples have clean water, too. I think that was a very poignant comparison. My concern um, is exactly as you say, forgery. We know there is discourse in the anti-vax uh, movement that says, you know, let's figure out how to feed these systems. Let's figure out how to, uh, how to pass, basically how to, how to overtake them, how to forge. And, and that's concerning. There's no question it's concerning. Are there enough people committed to doing that to make us all unsafe? That's actually a little bit less clear. But if there's at least a perception of fairness, a perception of robustness, a perception of reliability, then I think that, I think that actually is worth something. But the point raised is a good one. Well, I think that they should, here in Canada and in Ontario, there should be clean drinking water in all Indigenous communities, regardless of whether we put out vaccine certificates. I don't think it needs to be one or the other. Uh, and and a good point um, at this point in the pandemic as well, because that's an issue we have not discussed enough uh, because of all the other things that are going on. Uh, Dr. Bowman, what do you think about that? We already have this proof of vaccination. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to sort of go, to, I guess we do, but I, I've been told by a thousand people, and I believe every one of them, that it's easily forgeable. I've just got these crumpled up papers. I haven't even really looked. Um, but but here's, you know, the, the point raised is, is this a good use of resources? So, and, and again, the clean water, yes, absolutely. But, you know, the greatest threat to us all as Canadians is the global pandemic. And we are doing next to nothing about that. We don't even talk about it. So, you know, when someone raises, is this the best priority and is this, you know, worth these wars? Because this is going to be potentially quite challenging to implement in the weeks and months ahead. I think it's a very valid point as to whether this is the best thing to be doing right now. 
it seems like a good idea, but if the cost and the administration is massive, it's going to be a huge distraction from more important uh, focuses of the pandemic. Let's go to Joanne in Toronto. Joanne, what do you think about all this vaccine certificate talk? I agree with the last um, speaker about um, money being spent. Um, I'm more in favor of a passport for travel, international travel or interprovincial travel. I think the money could be better spent uh, protecting ourselves and other people in other countries. I think having a certificate would be a good idea. However, there are too many other issues that get in the way, such as someone at the door having to screen, uh, those people who have medical issues. Um, it, it is, um, it's the money issue and it's the ethical issues. If, if I was to travel, I would want to know if I'm on a plane that spent, I spent thousand dollars for the ticket i'm not going to be able to get off but if i walk into a restaurant and i'm uncomfortable i can walk away from a 30 dollar lunch Mm -hmm. so those are just some of my feelings thank you joanne thanks for calling and dr furness you brought up a good point too i mean just because you've got your vaccine certificate and you're in a restaurant doesn't mean you can't be carrying COVID or you can't be a breakthrough case despite your double vaccination status. So there's nothing to entirely make an individual feel secure once we get these vaccine certificates. Well, I think what will make people feel secure is when prevalence goes down across the board. And we've had a few months here and there in Ontario where case counts have been so low that I think people have felt safe. So I think that's what, that's what makes people safe. I suspect we'll need an economist in this conversation, and we may need to wait a year or two to say, you know, has the disease avoidance that we may get, uh, never mind just us, but just the, the, the cost of hospitalizing people, is that going to be worth the vaccine vaccine certificate programs? I mean, it's it's a complicated question to ask and answer. Let's go to Janet in Ajax. Uh, Janet, what, are you, what do you think about uh, the idea of an official vaccine certificate in Ontario? Oh, I'm all for it. Definitely. Why? Um, but I just, uh, because I'm vaccinated and I've talked to people who are not getting it just because. There's no reason why not. Just because. I don't know. I just don't want it. Do you think that these people you speak with who have not gotten their shots will be motivated to do so once they have to show proof of vaccination? I'm really hoping. Okay. Janet, well, thank you for your call. Oh, did you want to add something? Well, you just what was the difference between the passport and the certificate? Well, that's the passport is the way it's being framed uh, for the uh, for the federal government. Certificate is how it's being framed for the provincial government. Oh, oh. yeah. Okay, uh, I thought there might have been a difference in where you can go and that kind of thing. Well, I guess, uh, Dr. Bowman, we we still have to decide on the format as well, right? Because there is a lot of confusion out there hearing all these different words for proof of vaccination. I don't, I'm, I'm not surprised people find it confusing because I find it confusing too. We are using a lot of different words and some people mean the same thing and some people don't. So it's very confusing. Some people find the word passport too strong to be talking about restaurants and sports events and things like that. But, you know, and, and it looks like we're moving towards passports would be the global question and certificates would be the national and provincial. But I'm not even sure we've got consensus on that yet. And that's worrisome that we haven't even defined our terms yet. And we're already kind of, you know, implementing it. Yeah, excellent point. Um, what about you, Dr. Furness, uh, in terms of the, the federal passport, the provincial certificate, uh, and what needs to be thought of uh, before we implement these programs? I try to stay away from the word passport because to me there's a there's a connotation there of identify and control and actually if we do uh, if we do this right we don't need to identify people and we don't need to control right it, it should be allowed to enable and it should be it should be basically passing a token rather than having to to necessarily reveal your identity and be tracked and controlled so I would I, I think certificate is a more positive word and I think words matter mm-hmm. whether whether the word passport makes more sense for travel or not I, I I'd like to use positive language and really emphasize the fact that this is meant to enable and not surveil. Great. I like that. Uh, I thank you both for your uh, points of view on this discussion. It looks like we're going down the path of vaccine certificates in the province. So great to hear some uh, thoughts and uh, points of view on how we should go about doing this, because it really is in its infancy, this whole idea. Uh, Thank you, doctors. Thank you. Thank you, Jane.
Dr. Colin Furness is infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information. And bioethicist Dr. Carrie Bowman is at the University of Toronto. Tomorrow, we have our strategy panelists, as we always do, uh, Tuesday after the noon news here on Fight Back. Always an interesting and spicy conversation. Until then, stay well. Gavin Day in the news coming up next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back on Thursday. Well, it would appear Ontario's Premier will make a long-awaited appearance this week to announce that he has changed his mind on vaccine certificates. Doug Ford has said on a number of occasions his government will not be moving forward on issuing them, saying he doesn't want a split society. But then on Friday, following Justin Trudeau's announcement that the Liberal leader would give the provinces a billion dollars to fund COVID vaccine passports, came unofficial word from Queen. Park that Doug Ford's government will relent and issue some form of vaccine certification that won't be forgeable, like the Ministry of Health emails that are sent to people after their COVID vaccinations. Vaccine certificates would be used to prove an individual has been fully vaccinated, allowing them to present this information to non-essential businesses like restaurants, movie theaters, sporting events, and stage productions, and so on. We'll start by getting reaction to this news from Dr. Colin Furness, infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information, and bioethicist Dr. Carrie Bowman at the University of Toronto. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Happy to do so. Dr. Furness, on this news, what are your thoughts? I think it's really important to differentiate between a technology that allows you to do something and then policies that may restrict people's ability to get things done. So really, the the idea of a certificate or an app or whatever it's going to be, it enables, it allows businesses or governments or individuals to require that or make use of it. But then you need a policy framework around that. So you you really have to see these things as, as entirely separate. I welcome the technology. I welcome the enabling of being able to do that kind of uh, that kind of verification in certain scenarios, but it needs to be governed. And, and so, when you say it needs to be governed, what are what are the considerations uh, before moving forward with this? Well, we have to think about human rights. We have to think about equity. We have to think about uh, access to essential services. We have to think about driving up the cost of things, possibly making some kind of businesses unable to really continue operations. So we just have to look at what we might call unintended effects, I think, of of this this kind of thing. And, And also the fact that, you know, governments do sometimes surveil more than they should. And we just want to make sure that this is in proportion. I'll get your reaction as well, Dr. Kerry Bowman. Yeah, you know, Colin makes some very good points, and I agree. Um, You know, so much of it, you know, it's here, whether we, none of the ethical problems associated with it have gone away at all, but there's a large national and maybe North American consensus that the benefits of this will likely, likely outweigh all of these other concerns, but still a huge obligation. How are we going to do it well? is the question. And, you know, we don't really know yet. We know next to nothing about this. Uh, Quebec has some interesting uh, approach, and it seems that the the opportunity for surveillance in Quebec is quite minimal. Mind you, you know, our banks, our insurance companies, everybody tells us everything's bulletproof safe until something happens. But, um, you know, so so that is the beginning. But, you know, let's just take an example. You know, if, if someone says, okay, well, we're going to do random, you know, we, we can't manage the volume, so we're going to check one in every, I don't know what, let's say 12 people or, or 20 people, that's actually very ripe for discrimination, um, even if it's not in the conscious mind for who you're going to select, et cetera, et cetera. So, so much of the devil will be in the details, as people say. And the ethical elements of it, we're, we're yet to hear about. Vaccine certificates. We are expected to hear this week from Premier Doug Ford that he has changed his mind and there will be some sort of proof of vaccination that all of us who've been double vaccinated will be able to show to non-essential businesses, to our employers. Um, but yes, no policy, no vaccine policy has been outlined as well. 
Uh, Dr. Furness, do you think these certificates will help prevent further lockdowns, which is, is what the business community is advocating for? I think they they can, yes. I I really hope we never have to use the word lockdown seriously again. And the way you do that is to try and control transmission in other ways. Uh, Testing is really important. We in Ontario have decided that testing is not something we're going to do extensively. So we've we've kind of ruled that out. Our other choices are, are actually pretty limited. And so I think having certain kind of reasonable rules that say, when people are sharing air indoors, you've got to be vaccinated. That would go a long way to controlling transmission, no question. Dr. Bowman, the way Dr. Furness just presented that, does that, um, does that dot all the I's and cross all the T's when it c- comes to ethical issues? Not necessarily. I mean, what it does tell me, and, and you know, I think Colin would agree with this, it, it, it's you know, it, it is the way forward, and none of the ethical problems have gone away, but this is what we're going to do. Look, I hope it works. I'm not suggesting it's not going to work. I'm not convinced we know for certain it's going to work really well and have been worth all of this. I think it's absolutely right that we should be doing it at this point. But remember, this is not a firewall. That does not mean that the restaurant that you're in is absolutely safe. Uh, there's no way it means something like that. So, you know, it's a tool of many other things, but, you know, how are we going to do it well is, is a huge element to this. And equity is going to be front of that list of surveillance. You know, when we look to British Columbia, and look, they may have changed it by now. I, I do my best to stay on top of these things. But people with medical or religious, and religious is a very fleetingly small group of people, by the way, but people with medical, they, they simply can't participate. They're not part of it. Now, Quebec is different. And, and BC may relent, but boy, the, you know, the details are really, really important from an ethical point of view. Well, and let me ask you this. From a bioethical point of view, what considerations need to be made before these vaccine certificates are issued? Well, how they're administered is, is a big one. You know, how, how, you know, if someone's standing at the door, how you actually do that? You know, are they going to be scanned? I've been talking to some of my students, several of my students, some of which are servers, meaning, you know, bars, restaurants, that type of thing. They, they think it's horrible. They do not want this dropped in their lap at all. They say they're not trained for it. They're not qualified. They're not paid for it. Um, there's no sign of any kind of managerial support. So a lot of that will be will be important. And also that the data not be stored in any possible way. And further to that, Jane, is that it be retired when it's over. What Mm. I am concerned about is people are going to say, this is a great public health strategy. And, you know, let's just keep this for flu season and et cetera, et cetera. You know, very, very, and people say, well, they won't do that. Well, you know, if you think of G20, we were told that when all these cameras were put into downtown Toronto, that's just temporary. That's just till we get through this event. Well, they never took them down. In fact, they added more. So, this is the kind of mission creep we have to worry about because we have a lot of surveillance. We've lost a lot of ground on this front, ethically, practically human rights in the last few years. And with the pandemic, we've lost a lot more ground. So I hope it's nothing permanent. Well, let me put this question to our Zoomer radio listeners then. When these vaccine passports, certificates, whatever you want to call them, proof of vaccination are issued to each person who's been double vaccinated, are you more likely in your own mindset to return to normal, normal activities? And maybe you've done that already as a double vaccinated person. Maybe you're going out to restaurants and movie theaters and and feeling comfortable as long as you're wearing your mask. But will these vaccine certificates, knowing that businesses are going to be checking them before people go into their establishments, is that going to make you feel more comfortable, more secure in living more of a pre-pandemic lifestyle? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'm with Dr. Colin Furness, Infection Control Epidemiologist, Assistant Professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information and bioethicist Dr. Carrie Bowman at the University of Toronto. Let me get your reaction to this, doctors. Uh, the BC government, interestingly, saying it's seeing a massive increase in interest in the COVID vaccine since annou- an 
announcing a new program to require proof of vaccination for a wide range of social and recreational activities. Dr. Furness, could this actually be inspiration for the unvaccinated to finally get their shots? Motivation, if not inspiration. There's a lot of reasons for vaccine hesitancy, and the headlines typically are the people who are really angry about this and really opposed. But there's a large number of people who say just don't like needles, uh, for whom there's just a certain amount of inertia, who feel young and healthy and invincible. And by that, I mean men in their 20s, right? That is the lowest vaccinated age sex group in Canada, all over the place, every province. It's men in their 20s. So these are groups that say, well, I don't really need it, don't really want it, but if I need it to go to the bar, or to or to do other things, go to the movies, then I'll get it. And, and so with that group, yes, we will move a lot. We're not going to budge the people who are angry, but we'll budge the people who are somewhat, well, lazy is not a right word, but who just, who just haven't felt sufficiently motivated. Right. They've been procrastinating, perhaps. Uh, well, just a little bit more on the British Columbia situation. Uh, since um, Monday... This must be since, yes, so since last Monday, the number of people registering for the vaccination program or booking appointments each day has jumped by as much as 200 percent compared to a week earlier. The biggest jump uh, has been in people under the age of 40. Dr. Bowman. Yeah, but, you know, I'm going to speak as an ethicist, and I guess that's why I'm invited so I can do that. Um, You know, this isn't really about autonomy. We have to be very clear here. Some of the people that are doing this You know, and it's a mixture of I want to go to this bar, I want to go to this basketball game, and I want to keep my job because that's happening as well. Uh, This is not preserving autonomy. I mean, I know people that are now being vaccinated absolutely against their will, um, and they're doing it to protect their livelihood because they're raising children or whatever their situation would be. I know senior people in the Toronto Teaching Hospitals and the University of Toronto that are in this position. They don't agree with the data. They don't think it's right, et cetera. Now, the groups that that Colin mentions, it may just be what many people would call a nudge, and that may be very helpful. But, you know, this is not free and informed consent for a lot of people. They are doing it because they're being forced to do it. And, you know, autonomy really has been our moral foundation in terms of how we practice healthcare in Canada. Look, we're in unusual circumstances. We're in a, a global and national crisis. Hopefully it's justified, but I wouldn't minimize this from an ethical point of view. We're really deviating from the things that we would normally do and believe in. We are catering here at Zoomer Radio to an older audience, a 45-plus audience. So we're likely, if you're listening, very likely you are double vaccinated. So we'll take a quick break, but I want to get to your phone calls here in just a moment on whether you will feel more comfortable to do more things in society as a result of these vaccine certificates. Every indication is that we're going to hear more about this from Premier Ford this week. He's changed his mind uh, and moving forward with some sort of provincial proof of vaccination. Will you feel more comfortable, more secure in living your life more normally, I guess, more in a pre-pandemic style if you were to have these vaccine certificates, if we as a society have these certificates? 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, fight back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby will be back on Thursday, so it's great to join you again for a few days. Another week is underway, and that means our Zoomer squad is here to discuss issues important to those 45 and older. Peter Mugrich is senior editor at Zoomer Magazine. David Kravitz, chief membership officer at CARP and vice president here at Zoomer Media. And Bill Van Gorder is chief operating officer and chief policy officer at CARP. Welcome to you all. Hi, Jane. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jane. We will definitely talk about the election and get reaction to the various announcements aimed at older voters since we last spoke a week ago. But first, one of my favorite topics, and maybe yours as well, travel. 
the vast majority of us are now double vaccinated. So we're thinking about getting on airplanes and going on trips and vacations. But it's not like the pre-pandemic days. There is a lot of new information and there are many considerations to take in mind before booking a holiday. Bill, CARP is involved in what looks to be an informative forum on travel called the Return to Travel. Tell us about this. Well, the Return to Travel event is another of our uh, national uh, uh, webinar, web uh, presentations. that's going to try to answer all the questions that people have about traveling these days. And and you're right, although it seems like uh, the opportunities for travel are increasing and things are getting somewhat safer. There are still some real concerns, a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, and we're going to try to explore those with our uh, with our viewers as we do the do the event. Uh, Bill, without giving too much away, um, what are some of the considerations that now as Zoomers we should be thinking about if we are really going to take a vacation and, uh, you know, like say to a resort in the Caribbean or a European vacation, what kinds of things should we be considering? Well, first of all, uh, the consideration of the safety of the location that we're we're, we're going to, whether or not uh, it's being adequately controlled, what other, uh, what kind of situations are we going to run into there? How will our insurance uh, uh, cover us uh, there? What will the healthcare possibilities uh, be like? Those are all uh, questions in terms of, of destination. Then how we, we get there overseas uh, travel still has a lot of questions for a lot of our older uh, uh, Canadians, especially because they have health issues that they're dealing with uh, as they uh, travel. And one of the big questions we're uh, hearing, they're asking about and they're hearing about it. And I heard you talking to Libby last week, and that's the airport situation. Many of the, the seniors are saying, look, I think that it's probably fairly fairly safe once I get on the airplane for what I've, but I've heard that the airports don't seem to be handling it well. So what are the large airports in this country where I leave? How am I going to handle them? And what's the airport situation where I'm going to, uh, where I'm going to land? And uh, there's, there's a lot of talk, especially in the internet about these questions. And we hope that our experts on the uh, travel webinar will help sort through some of these questions. And if not answer them totally, at least let uh, viewers know where they should find the most up-to-date answers as they're trying to make their decisions about traveling in the next couple of months. It's called The Return to Travel, and it is on Thursday, September 9th, starting at 11 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon. I know, Bill, you know, my husband, Myron, and I have been talking about the possibility of going to a resort maybe in November or December, but we want to make sure that the resort we go to, everybody there, all the staff is double vaccinated, and also that we can get a PCR test uh, for our return fairly easily, I mean, in a perfect scenario, actually at the resort. Will this be some of what's talked about? Well, it, it, it will be. That's, you know, that's one of the questions that people are asking. And how do I find out? Do I trust uh, what the resort is saying, for instance, on their website? Or where do I find someone in Canada who could let me know what the current information is? And it's so fluid uh, all the time. This information is not consistent. So how do I make sure I'm getting the most up-to-date information about where where I'm traveling, how I'm going to get there, and how safe it's going to be to get there, and how easy it's going to be to come home uh, once it happens. And what, even what happens if there's, if there's uh, another uptick, another crisis, a change mm-hmm. in the rules while I'm, while I'm away. A lot more questions than answers these days, and our experts will try to give you the best possible answers and what to keep looking for so you'll know right up to the time you travel, where to get the best information. Uh, David, just uh, I want to get you to weigh in as well. The fact that CARP is doing this return to travel webinar, and I first heard about it uh, on here on Zoomer Radio, uh, feels like an endorsement that it's okay for Zoomers to begin traveling. Yeah, your thoughts on that? I, I don't think it's okay, and I don't think it's not okay. I think what we're saying is we know people are starting to plan. We know that uh, destinations are, are starting to accept bookings again. So what we're trying to do is to equip people 
uh, to make the best possible decisions uh, as they go into the planning that they are already starting to do. So rather than say, shut it down, don't even think about it, we're saying, oh, open yourselves up to the possibilities, but here's the kind of information that might be helpful. Okay, very good. It's called The Return to Travel. There's more information online at carp.ca. Okay, to the election, and I'll start with Peter. Uh, getting your takes on what voters are feeling with three weeks to go. We're in this campaign now for two weeks, three weeks remaining to September 20th, according to Nano's research. Uh, and we were talking to Nick Nano's this morning on the morning Zoom. Uh, the Conservatives are at 32.7% support. The Liberals, 31.3. So they've changed their one and two positions. The New Democrats at 20 and the Green Party and the People's Party of Canada way behind in single digits. Uh, Peter, what are your thoughts uh, at this point in the campaign? Talk against the Liberals for, for calling this election. A, a lot of people thought, you know, we're still in COVID. It's, it's a summer. The government was strong. It hadn't fallen. Um, you know, they hadn't faced any non-confidence motions. Um, why uh, they're, they're, you know, Afghanistan is in flames and why call an election right now? So, so I think what we're seeing is the early Trudeau lead has evaporated, um, based on sort of, um, O'Toole's managing to not have any gaffes so far and also just general disdain against the election. So, um, it, it looks neck and neck here right now, but again, we have to look at people who say they're voting NDP now and then whether they actually follow through with it at the polls, we, we might see some NDP support, uh, you know, migrate to Liberals closer to election time. Well, Peter, that often happens, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, during an yeah. election campaign, you get people kind of uh, flirting with the idea of voting differently than, than they did last time. And then in the end, they go back to what they see as a, a safe choice. So we're, there is still a long way to go. There's still a long way to go. There, there's three weeks. We, we've got rid of all the nonsense and everything. And uh, now, now it's just, you know, down to whether the parties can convince enough voters to vote for them. Bill, what are your thoughts? Uh, two weeks in with three weeks to go. Well, one of the most amazing things, this has been mentioned by many of the CARP members that I uh, talk to, is that we we know very clearly what the platforms are for the NDP who announced theirs even before an election was called, the Conservatives who came out with theirs fairly soon after the election, and we're still waiting to see what the total liberal platform is. So when you talk to our uh, potential voters about who they're going to vote for, they're still unclear of, of what is actually up for up for, for decision. And uh, so I'm wondering whether or not that this is a tactic on behalf of the liberals to, to leave theirs later so they'll attract support with some strong promises, or whether they're so disorganized they really don't know what they want to say at this point. But it's a very strange thing that's confusing a lot of our uh, older uh, Ontario and thinking voters. And we will discuss uh, some of the promises that have been made already for older voters. Uh, first, though, David, your impressions two weeks in. I don't think this is a platform election. I think there's an election about vibe, about vibes and feelings. And I think that if you look at some of the visceral uh, anti-Trudeau uh, feeling that's out there, particularly among the younger voters, uh, I would think it would be very worrisome to the Liberals. I think it's significant that O'Toole is trying to position himself as a non-frightening alternative. And Singh, Dagmeet Singh, the other day came out and sort of said that he'd be open to working with a conservative minority if it happened. And I think what he's trying to do is hang on to his people to say, don't don't panic and leave me uh, in order to uh, stop O'Toole mm -hmm. uh, because I can work with O'Toole as well. I don't, he didn't make a big prominent thing out of that, but he did say it. And I think that the um, feeling now is that uh, uh, O'Toole is trying very hard to be moderate. I'm not scary. I've got some common sense ideas. You may like them, you may not, but they're not like over the top. And I think Trudeau is just suffering from a, a lot of backlash against real or perceived. I'm not, I'm not going to say, but 
uh, his uh, lack of delivering on stuff. He's very good at rhetoric. There's been a lot of criticism about, you know, lack of follow through. And I also don't think that the Afghanistan thing is helping at all. So I think we're on a trajectory for a minority government, whether liberal or conservative. Not much movement in the final seat totals, but it'll be interesting to see who uh, nips who at the finish line. It's our Monday Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Bill Van Gorder, and Peter Mugridge. I'm Jane for Libby. She's back on Thursday, and you're listening to Zoomer Radio's Fight Back, talking about the election here. And certainly, if you want to get in on the conversation, if you're flirting with the idea of voting differently than you did in 2019, we definitely want to hear from you and why. 41 416- one six three six zero zero seven forty or toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Let's talk about the dynamic that played out over the weekend. The Liberals canceled Justin Trudeau's event in Bolton here in the GTA over security concerns. That was on Friday evening. Uh, he was having a private personal day on Saturday, Justin Trudeau, and then yesterday in Cambridge, just down the four hundred one from us here in Toronto, where he was met. Well, he wasn't met, but his bus was met with some very angry, vocal minority anti-vaxxer protesters who were crude and rude, to say the least, uh, signage with expletives, um, you know, just uh, really in bad taste in terms of presenting what it is they're protesting. Uh, you know, I asked Nick Nanos this morning on the morning Zoom whether he thinks that might play in, in Justin Trudeau's favor because the vast majority of Canadians are vaccinated and believe in vaccine certificates, or at least want them, and uh, like the idea of mandatory vaccinations for events and for going back to work. Uh, what do you all think of that, Peter? I, I think this plays um, very much into Trudeau's hands. I, you know, he's he's sort of casting about, looking for an issue, looking for something to grab onto, and now he's got it with with these sort of U.S. style angry protests and. And although O'Toole was very quick to distance himself and, and you know, didn't hammer-haw or play it up like we've seen uh, Trump do, um, Trudeau's tagging him with it. He, he, he He's calling them conservative supporters. He's saying O'Toole's not being, you know, distance, distancing himself strongly enough. He's saying he's got to keep his, his uh, MPs in order. And um, so so this, is, this could be a, a tonic for Trudeau. You know, and O'Toole just looks at it with worry. You know, like he's built up this this, as David said, this image of moderation, and then he's got the Yahoos uh, out there, and and it, it even though they're not conservative supporters, it, it's it's hard to for him to explain that they're not. Let's go to Dennis in Brampton. Dennis, what would you like to add? Go ahead. So you're touching on uh, the purpose of my call, and that is there's only one party that has been crystal clear about vaccine mandates and passports. And um, I think, Jane, you had reported earlier this week some 83% of Canadians are in favor of both. So I'm wondering, uh, where are the voters on this? Because uh, specifically, I point to the Conservatives, maybe less so with the NDP, they're waffling on that issue. And why are they waffling on that issue? Uh, could it be that a significant portion of their base are not in favor of vaccines and or masks? Mm-hmm. I'll wait for your panel to comment. Yes, thank you, Dennis. Great question. Uh, over to you, Bill. Well, there's no question we surveyed uh, our members on uh, on the question, and they are overwhelmingly well over 80% in favor of uh, passports for uh, uh, travel and even a majority very much in favor of passports for attending uh, public uh, public events. So uh, so for the older voters that uh, CARP speaks with, uh, it, it, it is it is a, a, a no brainer and they, they're looking for a party that will support uh, so support passport. David, to Dennis's question there, you you would think that Justin Trudeau would be making a bigger issue uh, of uh, his promise to deliver what the vast majority of Canadians are looking for with vaccine passports and mandatory vaccine policies. I think that um, there's a difference between whether you're in favor of an issue or not, or whether it's decisive in the election or not. Uh, I don't think... Uh, 
vaccine passports are going to be a deal breaker uh, either way. Now, you could argue they should be. I'm not making that point. I'm just saying that it's very well known in, in, in any kind of research, opinion research, that people may have an opinion on something, and yet that there's other issues that drive them more. I don't see people splitting between I must stop Aaron O'Toole from being prime minister because if he wins, there won't be vaccine passports. I must make sure Justin Trudeau is reelected because that's the only way we're going to get vaccine passports. I just don't. There's so many, you know, executional problems and operational issues and how is it going to happen? And then it's all going to be over, God willing, by next, uh, by, by, you know, by within six or seven months. And then who have I got in there running the country? I don't see, I, I'm a minority view here, I guess, on this panel. I don't think the heckling of Trudeau is going to mean, amount to a hill of beans at the end. If I don't think it's an issue that helps him. And I, cause I think there's deeper currents going on. Why is Aaron O'Toole picked up eight points, uh, in your choice for prime minister? He's only a point and a half behind. I think there's a general, uh, feeling of, uh, reaction for some reason against Trudeau. And I don't think that uh, vaccines and masks is enough to offset it. They've got to come up with something very substantial to erode, to change this erosion of their support. But I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just how I see it. Well, I, 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 I'm glad we have differing perspectives on our Zoomer squad. What do you think about what David is saying? Uh, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We'll go to Brian in Toronto. Brian, your thoughts on the election so far? Well, thank you for taking my call. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm a double vaccinated guy. I believe in the vaccination, but I don't believe the vaccination passports because I don't know, as the, you, the last uh, gentleman just said, that in six or seven months it may all be for naught. And I think it's going to create a divide amongst people. It already is beginning to do that. However, I think that what's happening here, people are just are getting a little tired of Trudeau's uh, pretty boy uh, tactics. Everything is, he's very, he's got great comments, but very little action. All he's done was given CERB money out to people that didn't deserve it. We have a deficit that our great grandchildren will be paying for. And I think it's time for a change. Okay, Brian, thank you for your call. Peter, what do you say to that or just the issue in general? Well, you know, I mean, that's Trudeau's weakness is, is, uh, you know, he's good at giving out money and he's good at uh, communicating that he's giving out money. But he hasn't really come up with a plan on how he's going to pay for it or how the economy is going to start paying, you know, generating revenue to pay it. And, and that's his big weakness, I think. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the mask, uh, the vaccine passport and the mask mandates are, they're almost red herrings, you know, like they're, they're sort of diversions from the fact that his campaign lacks a very, uh, clear and cogent, uh, economic recovery plan. Let's talk about uh, issues for older Canadians uh, that have been promised so far, and I'll, I'll get, go around the table again. Uh, the Liberals so far, Justin Trudeau has announced that a re-elected Liberal government would spend $9 billion to address Canada's long-term care sector. The party is also planning to double the home accessibility tax credit meant to help make homes more accessible for seniors and people with disabilities to provide up to an additional $1,500. They've also committed to increase the old age security pension by 10% for those 75 and over starting next year. Now, Bill, I know that CARP members who are 74 and under aren't so happy for this and, and feel like, especially those on fixed incomes, that they're being left out. Out. They certainly uh, did, and they were they were uh, loud in their in their questioning and their uh, d- disapproval when that happened. In fact, we got together with two other uh, national seniors organizations representing a total of one million seniors and wrote the government specifically on their concern about making a two class system for. Uh, uh, for that, it, it, uh, all the promises that the uh, Liberals have made. In fact, I said before, uh, uh, this, our members feel that there's no substance yet. We haven't seen the entire Liberal platform. They're letting it out in, in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. The $9 billion that he talked about was mostly just a reannouncement of money that was already in their, uh, in their last budget. Uh, the tax, the, the tax credit and uh, is, uh, 
very helpful to people who need to renovate their homes. But but he was talking about that as an answer. The Liberals were talking about as an answer to issues around being able to stay in your own home and your and your own community. And that's not the what is is needed. It's very nice for those who who can renovate their homes, who have the money in the first place and the home to do it. But what we need is improved health care in the community so that people can stay in their own homes. And the increase of the OAS by by ten uh, percent is is a very nice promise, but that is uh, uh, that's tied in with the uh, with the guaranteed income and the fact that they've still uh, set the low low limits of those uh, requirements uh, uh, way too low. So it's not going to help the real the people who really uh, really need it. And the whole liberal platform so far has really uh, stayed away from any specifics on how they're going to implement uh, these and do them properly so they really will help the people who really need them. David, any further thoughts to what the Liberals are offering so far to older Canadians? the last point Bill made is really, really critical. The low-income cutoff, what they call the poverty line, is around the bill, you got the exact dollar figure, but it's around 20 grand or something for a single person. Yeah. And, and it should be 40. It should be nowadays. I mean, that 19,000 and change might have been a valid poverty line, uh, 10 or 15 years ago, but it's a joke today. So you're helping those. And certainly if you're below that number, you do need this extra help and it's welcome. And $500 is better than 499 and not as good as 501. And that's great. But what there's a big group of people who are deemed to be too well off to qualify. Who really are not that well off and are struggling desperately. If you're going to help them, why not make the poverty line more realistic or the low income cutoff, as they call it, more realistic? And I think that's the weak point of that. And I think they're hoping to glide past that little factoid, that little awkward detail and just be seen to be spreading more money around. And it doesn't seem like it's getting as much traction as they hope for because they, a week ago they were winning among Zoomers in all the polls in that age group, and now they're losing. Hmm. So whatever they thought it was going to do for them, it hasn't done it yet. In the interest of time here, I'll just quickly go through what the Conservatives are are offering so far, as well as the New Democrats, and and get some final comments on that from our Zoomer squad. Uh, The Aaron O'Toole Conservative saying uh, that his party will give seniors who choose to continue working past retirement more income as a result of doubling the Canada workers' benefit up to a maximum of $2,800 for individuals or 5000 for families. Also, he would change legislation to ensure pensioners would have priority over executives. If a company enters bankruptcy or restructuring, keeping seniors in their home, he would increase the home accessibility tax credit limit from $10,000 per dwelling to $10,000 per person. That's significant. Uh, allow seniors or their caregivers, including children, to claim the medical expense tax credit for home care. And introducing the Canada Canada Seniors Care Benefit, $200 a month per household to any Canadian who's living with and taking care of a parent over the age of 70. So that's what the Conservatives are offering. The New Democrats under Jagmeet Singh, his national senior strategy to work with the provinces. He wants to develop a long-term plan to enhance old age security. He would also boost the guaranteed income supplement, strengthen the Canada Pension Plan, Universal Pharmacare. He is promising that as well, which would obviously improve the lives uh, of seniors. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on, on some of these goodies? You know, um, the NDP plan is basically a rehash from last year. So with nothing new except for Singh is, is uh, talking about getting rid of uh, private long-term care homes. And and that seems to me to be a provincial issue, just like the um, vaccine passports. So um, I, what we see here is, is like some good ideas all around, but a complete sort of absence of... Uh, you know, um, sort of a, a comprehensive, all-inclusive plan to help Canadian seniors. And uh, David's been bemoaning this for years. And, and campaigns just sort of throw in little bits and for seniors here and there and, and hope to wrap up a senior vote. And they just don't get serious about it. And, and this is, I think, David, I don't want to speak for you, but this looks like another election where they're, they're just throwing dribs and drabs out there and there's no big plan. Let's take one final caller before we wrap up uh, this week's Zoomer Squad discussion. Barry in North York, go ahead. Afternoon. Um, if 
there were only three parties, I would be more inclined to um, vote NDP more than ever before my first time in my life. Because the more I hear this guy, the more he seems genuine, honest, which is really difficult to find in politics, I think, and and just a down-to-earth guy that cares about people. That's if there are only three parties, but there aren't. Okay, so for you, uh, the Green Party, the Bloc Québécois, the PP, the People's Party of Canada, they're too much of a factor to vote NDP? Um, too much of a factor? Well, why? I mean, these are the three. There are really just three main parties with the Greens and the People's Party um, at the very bottom in terms of voter support. Right. Well, I said if there were only three, that would be I'd be more inclined to vote for NDP. But um, there aren't, and I'm going green because I think that's the only way, the only way out of this terrible environmental thing. We need a party that really cares mostly about the environment. Okay, Barry. A rough ride. Thank you very much for your call. I got you. Final comments uh, to David first. Well, I think Peter was right. All the part, look, all the parties are checking as many boxes as they can when it comes to seniors because nobody's obviously going to come out and say, I don't care about seniors because they know that uh, we vote in massive numbers. So there's a number of boxes and they're checking off as many as they can. I think the conservatives probably ranged a little bit further afield than I would have expected them to, which is kind of interesting. Um, the NDP talks about strategy to me whenever I hear the word strategy, my uh, weasel word <laughs> meter goes up because it's one of those nice sounding things that really doesn't mean anything. But they're all paying uh, appropriate uh, duty call, you know, check the boxes and none of it's bad. But I reiterate, I think this is an election about vibes and about general feeling of, you know, who do I see at the helm? And I think that's, at the moment, not uh, a favorable environment for uh, our friend, the Prime Minister. And Bill, to you, final comment today. This is becoming a much more interesting election than most of us thought it would be when it was announced. There's still a lot to be heard and to be specific. And I look forward to being able to talk about uh, to talk about it for the next two weeks till we finally know what the answer is. It's right up in the air at the moment. All right. I'll look forward to speaking with you all, hopefully, on Labor Day Monday, if you're joining us uh, on the STAT holiday. In the meantime, have a great week, guys. Thanks, Thanks, James. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. Our Monday Zoomer Squad. Jane for Libby here on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. And coming up in the second half, now that it appears Ontario residents will be getting vaccine passports, what are the considerations before they're put out? We will discuss with a panel of experts Experts next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.